1: Good morning. My name is Dean Bobar. I'm the adult life minister here. A picture is worth a thousand words. A picture is worth a thousand words. I'll let you know a little secret. Preachers and teachers often look for one image, one metaphor, one story that somehow captures their entire message. Right, Peter? And I found mine. I was scrolling through Tuesday on Instagram, and I came across Krista Littles' uh, Instagram account, and I found some images there. So it's actually not just one image. So it's actually three images are worth a thousand words. Um, so was it three thousand? I don't know. I don't know the math there, but you you get the point. Is sometimes you find these images that, that just capture certain things for us, and so these images are from her account, and she shared the actual ones with me and. It's about this artistic form known as kintsugi, and basically involves taking pieces of real life art or different everyday things, and they're either broken or you intentionally break them, and then they're put back together. But Krista does a much better job of describing it because she's a professional artist and went to school for all this stuff and knows her stuff. So this is what she shared with me. Kintsugi is about mending looking for the landscape caused by the damage rather than repairing the broken pieces in an attempt to hide the past of the object. One transforms the fractures, embracing rather than forgetting the story of the object. Isn't that a beautiful way to do art is that there's brokenness, but it gets put back together, but the brokenness doesn't get hidden. Krista, did I do justice to that? She she could probably do even better justice to, to it than I could. But friends, here there's this image, this set of images that captures for us the story that we find in Scripture, the story of redemption. You see, God has created us for deep communion with Him and authentic relationship with one another. But each one of us has broken longings for relationship because of sin, because of sin's power, because of sin's presence in our heart and in our lives. But the good news is that these are being redeemed in Christ's and through the Spirit, we're experiencing the rescuing from these, the destructive effects of these broken longings. And we're being restored in Christ in relationship with God and his people in the church. Now, this is where God's redemptive work is different from Kintsugi, because in the end, when Christ returns, he'll make all things new. Now, I don't know how the brokenness and the scars of life will get included into our resurrection bodies in the new creation because when Jesus was resurrected, do you remember what he said to Thomas when Thomas was doubting? Do you remember what he said? What did he say about his, his, about his scars, his, his side and his hand? He said, put your fingers in there, test it. So somehow even though Jesus was resurrected, the scars were still there. So that's a mystery there. We don't quite understand, but we do know that there's a new creation. It's not just about putting back together the, the broken pieces; It's not just about mending This morning, we're going to talk about two pieces of good news related to the gospel, this redemptive work of God. The first is God's desire for relationship in the gospel and in creation, and then we're going to talk about God's design for the church. God's desire for relationship and then God's design for the church. This is the first of four messages in a new series we're calling Beautiful Community, And it's a double meaning. There's a heavenly meaning where we're talking about the community that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit each share with one another. And then we're going to talk about, you could say, the earthly community, the one that's reflected in relationship to God in the church, the beautiful community that we are created and redeemed to be that reflects the kind of community that God shares. Does that make sense? So put another way, we're going to hear in various Scripture passages about the identity of God and about our identity as the church in relationship to God. So when we use the word God as Christians, we mean something different more often than not, maybe always, than when Jews or Muslims or atheists or deists or whatever isms or ists you want to talk about when they refer to God. The Christian faith refers to the triune God, there's, we talk about the Godhead, the being of God, and there's three persons in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Basically, we're talking about the doctrine or teaching of the Trinity. And you can explain the doctrine, the teaching, but you can't explain God. We're not going to be able to exhaust the mystery of who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit, and how there's one God, but three persons in the Godhead. But what we can hear from God is some of the good news about it, what it means for us as the church. So here's where we're going over the course of the, these four weeks. This morning we're talking about the Father's beautiful love. Next week we're talking about the son's beautiful generosity. Third week we're talking about the spirit's beautiful work, and then we're bringing it all together in the last week, talking about the church as the beautiful community. Sound good? Does it make sense? So let's get started with the Father's beautiful love with his desire for relationship. How many of you have heard the gospel proclaimed in John 3:16? right you you might actually see it if you go to uh go to some celebrations or if you're watching uh, watching sports so what is john three sixteen? can can we maybe recite it together okay for god so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will should not perish but have everlasting life we have different translations probably remembered but you kind of get the the basic gist It goes on to say in verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So God sent, God the Father sent Jesus in love into the world to save us so that we might have eternal life with God. And what we hear in this week's verses that were just read by Jim is that this life with God is one where we share in the very love that God the Father has for God the Son. And I talked about this a couple weeks, and we're going to go a little bit deeper into it and look at it at a different angle, but that's the good news about God's desire for relationship. So let's read again in John 17, and I want you to listen for Jesus' desire for relationship as he shares God's heart. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. By the way, he's praying not just for his first disciples in John 17, He's actually praying for his future disciples, you and me. So th- these are actually Jesus' words praying for you right here, right now, and for me as well, as we're part of God's people. That they may be with me where I am, experience that fellowship to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. He's just about to go to the cross, and so he's praying about his disciples right there. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you hear there Jesus' desire for relationship, God the Father's desire for relationship? I desire that they may be with me where I am experiencing the very glory and love of God. Jesus knew about, experienced, proclaimed the Father's beautiful love. That's why he was sent. It's all over his ministry in the Gospels as he interacts with sinners and outcasts, as he performs miracles, as he declares that God's kingdom has come, as he dies on the cross and rises again. It's all infused with the Father's beautiful love. And it's also our destiny and purpose as God's people, as the church. So what is it that makes God the Father's love so beautiful? It's because it's a love that overflows to bless others. One image that theologians have used over the years, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, um, a well that's just overflowing with water, just bringing life to all in relationship to the well. Just a, another kind of picture there. So I guess we're at 4,000 words now. Now, did you notice that this is the love that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit share? Because Jesus said, the love with, with which you love me before the foundation of the world. This is the love that God the Father, God the Son, God the, shared, all, God the Spirit all shared before creation even happened. And so when creation does happen, it's not because God needed anything, but it's because God wanted to overflow his love to bless others. You see, God created us and created the worlds so that we might partake of this love. In other religions, the gods or God or higher power creates out of some sort of need usually, except for Judaism because our faith is related to that. But pretty much every other religion, if there's a creation story or a creation myth, it's all about the gods need something in some way. There's some sort of need that happens, but not the one true God. He creates because his love is overflowing. Dallas Willard, a spiritual philosopher and theologian uh, of the 21st century, um, predominant Christian theologian, he talks about the reason that, that the triune God created as being like a parent giving birth to children out of a healthy desire. The parents don't need the kids, but the parents want to expand the circle of their love to include their kids into that. So it's not a matter of dividing the love, it's a matter of expanding the love and including that into there. It's not because the parents need the kids, but they want, their, their, they want to bring children into that loving family experience. So whenever parents do that, you're reflecting God. God in his creating activity. Does that analogy make sense there? And so, God expands the circle of His love, you could say. God created the world and humanity out of this overflowing love. Go with me if you'd like, or you can listen to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 on day six of creation in the first creation account. This is as God the Father is speaking the word and God's Spirit is making it happen. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Do you notice the word our there? After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we're created to have stewardship over the rest of creation. And then it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we are created in God's image. We're created for a relationship with him. He speaks to us, and we respond in faith and obedience and in fellowship. And notice it says, male and female, he created them. There's a, there's a relationship that we are to have in, with one another in our creation. And then finally, verse 28, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blessed them. God's love is overflowing, blessing them to experience that life and to reflect that same love in taking care of the rest of creation. So that's the creation of the plate. But then things get broken. Beginning with the first human beings, we begin to rebel against God, and that's really what sin is. We begin to have these destructive longings, these broken longings. We still have the longings for deep communion with God and authentic community with one another, but now these longings are misguided. They're broken. Pastor Gary Watkins, our uh, former senior pastor describes sin this way. He said, one way that you can define sin is an illegitimate way to fulfill a legitimate need. An illegitimate way to fulfill a legitimate need. So at bottom, at root, fundamentally, we're, we're, there's still goodness there, but it's broken. It's misguided as we long for relationship. The good news is that through Christ and by God's Spirit, we are redeemed He's mending the plate and will one day recreate the plate. Jesus dies for our sins on the cross to bear the punishment for us. He gives us new life in his resurrection, where we begin to partake of this eternal life that begins now, in part. And he gives us of his spirit to draw us in to this life with God and with his people. The same overflowing love that led to our creation now leads to our redemption, it's now a sacrificial love. And I don't want to talk too much about that because that's next week's sermon. I've got to leave some stuff to talk about for next week. So, do you see the Father's overflowing love going throughout the whole story? We can also see that same love with the Son and the Spirit, but this morning we're talking about the Father mainly. According to the Scriptures, we can only find wholeness in God. We can only find wholeness in God. St. Augustine, the fourth century theologian and church leader, has this very famous saying in his book, The Confessions. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, he prays, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Have you ever had that experience of a restless heart? Do You know what I'm talking about? the sense of you're pursuing something some longing and it's just not being satisfied it's just not being fulfilled you you feel like i need something different i need something more we can only truly find wholeness in god and in his purposes for us now augustine said this on the other side of pursuing rest in everything that the world had to offer he talks about sex the pleasures of everyday life the good life as it was defined back then and even philosophy some of, that are, some of those things were good things, but they weren't the best things, not the ultimate things. In his spiritual autobiography, he gets very blunt, let's say, very descriptive of how he pursued all those things. But he also talks about how God graciously got a hold of his heart in the gospel. He talks about how these disordered loves were redeemed by the beautiful love of God. In another book, The City of God, he talks about our wills or our hearts being curved in on oneself. Curved in on oneself. We actually, instead of looking outward for life, especially to God, it's turned inward. It's all about me. I define life on my terms. I pursue life on my terms. Maybe even at your expense. The mending process that God is up to in our lives begins with a deep experience of the Father's beautiful love. And it goes back to that again and again and again. You could say it's the glue that puts the plate back together. But as that happens, we've got to stop grasping for life and learn to let ourselves be loved by God. And so I invite you this morning to pause and to ask yourself, what might be some cracks in my heart? What might be some broken longing, some ways that I'm looking for some good things, but going about it in maybe some unhealthy ways? How might I need to rest in the love of God for me? The kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross. David Benner, this Christian uh, theologian and psychologist, has this beautiful metaphor. He talks about the love of God being like a gentle river. How many of you have ever gone like tubing or gone in like the American River and it's not too crazy, it's not like rapids and you can just kind of float down. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's not too shallow where you're, you know, your back's hitting on rocks, you know. It's maybe a few feet deep and you're able to just rest and you just kind of go down. He says that's what it's like to rest in the love of God. Have you ever tried to float but you're tense? What happens when you're tense like that? You sink, right? You sink, right? you have to to just learn to relax, to, to trust that the water can hold you. And he says that's what it's like to rest in the love of God. We've got to stop being so tense, trying to reach for life on our terms, and let ourselves be loved by God. Because God wants us to experience that love, but we have to let him in. The Father wants to embrace us, but we need to stop running and turn around and let Him embrace us, and we need to embrace Him back. And so I invite you, friends, to to explore, what does it look like to relax, to rest in God's love, to let yourselves be loved by Him? So we're getting to know the one true God, beginning with the Father, and we're seeing the Father's beautiful love, this love that overflows to bless others. In getting to know God, we also get to know ourselves as well. We get to hear God's design for the church. Look with me, if you would, at verse 26 back in John 17. Jesus said, I made known to them your name. He's talking about his disciples right there. Your name, your person. He talks about God as being the righteous father. He talks about God's love all throughout the gospel of John especially. And he says, I will continue to make it known. That's good news. That means he's doing it for us right here, right now, and today. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He's making God known for the purpose, for the result, that God the Father's love, this beautiful love, this overflowing love that desires to bless, is in us. Because he, Jesus, is in us. It's not just out there. We don't get to just know about it. It's actually in us. It's right there. It it can't get any closer. And it's designed by God to be a transformative experience. It's in us, and then it goes out of us, flows out of us. We become like that kind of well, you could say. God's beautiful love is designed to bring about authentic community. This is really cool. If you're in John 17, go back a few verses to John 17, verses 20 and 21. I didn't have us read this whole passage because there's a lot in there, but I want to go back to verses 20 and 21 as Jesus begins praying for you and for me. He says, "'I do not ask for these only,' these disciples,' but also for those who will believe in me through the word. As the gospel goes from generation to generation, all the way down to you and me today, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus says, I'm praying for them that they might have the same kind of loving unity that I share with God the Father. Did you catch that? That's the kind of unity that he desires for us. That we are loved and loving one another. We are known and knowing one another. That's God's design for the church. And did you catch that it's a witness to the world? The world will look at our beautiful community and say, hey, there's something different about you guys. Why? Why are you different? We say, well, let me tell you about the Father's beautiful love that sent the Son into the world. Let me tell you this good news. Together, we are to be united in love just as the Father and the Son are united in love. When you are deeply loved by God, you are freed up to make known your cracks. You're freed up to say, hey, I've got some cracks, but I'm also being redeemed. There's a freedom that comes when we find rest in the God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. When we experience that kind of love, there's a security, a safety that comes. It's been about a month or so for most of us, at least for adults, where we haven't had to wear masks, right? How many of you during this time of the pandemic met someone for the first time with a mask and in the last month you saw them without the mask? Okay, how many of you have had the experience when you went, oh, that's the same person I met four months ago. I just realized, like, I'm talking with this person without a mask on, and now I'm realizing I met this person in church or the grocery store at my son's school or whatever, and I realize, oh, this is the same person. Anyone? Anyone else? A few people? Okay, you got to laugh a little bit about some of this stuff. Or, or you, you realize, that guy's got a mustache. I didn't know he had a mustache. Or, or you realize, I thought that that I thought that this woman looked differently or that man looked differently underneath there. I imagined a different kind of smile, but I didn't think that person looked like that. These are the kind of thoughts that go through my head, so I don't know if they're helpful or not. Um, but, friends, for us as a church, if we desire authentic community that God's designed for us, we've got to take off the masks. We have to take off the relational masks. We need to say, This is me, cracks and all. We don't do that we don't have that kind of deep relationship that kind of deep community and why do we put on masks i think it's to cover up our brokenness we don't want to show people that we have the cracks i don't feel safe enough secure enough to let you see the ways in which i'm cracked now this doesn't mean that we just go around just revealing all our deepest darkest secrets to every person we run into at the grocery store But knowing the Father's beautiful love gives us the security to know that I don't have to guard myself as I used to. I can do life differently. It can look different than how it used to. When I first became a believer, the first few years of my walk with the Lord were really focused on knowing that God loved me. I struggled with the questions of election, predestination, could I lose my salvation? And after a lot of prayer, scripture reading, reading theology books, talking with believers who are further along the way, I was reassured by God, God, I know you're not going to abandon me just as my earthly father did. And that's been part of my journey. What's been part of your journey? Where are you at in your journey to more deeply experience and know the Father's love? Now, some of you are maybe picturing right now kind of a funny image. You might be picturing a mask with a, or a plate with a mask on it. I know I'm mixing metaphors here, but are you guys tracking with me? Are you guys following along? Yeah? It's Making sense? This doesn't mean that we just go ahead and reveal the deepest parts of ourselves to every person that we run into. But it does mean that over time that God's grace and truth shape me to become the kind of person God creates me to be and to do. And has redeemed me to be and to do. It does mean that I no longer look for wholeness or completion in other people. You guys remember that movie Jerry Maguire with uh, with Tom Cruise? There's a very famous line in there. What does he it say? It's, he says, "You complete me." It's become like a meme, like this romantic statement. And it and it, on the surface it seems really like, oh, you complete me. But if you really think about it, that's not a good way to go about relationships. That's a lot of weight for the other person. I'm incomplete without you. You need to do all this stuff for me to be whole. Like that's, it it leads to some unhealthy dynamics. I see some heads nodding here. It's just not a good way to go about relationships. We can only find wholeness in God. And so over time, as we find more of that wholeness and rest in God, we begin to act out of, of more of a wholeness. And we're able to bless others and give to others in a healthy way and receive love in a healthy way. Now, this doesn't happen with everyone in the church, unless you have a really small church. I think that God designs this to happen in smaller groups, where I can know that this group of people is safe enough to take off more of my mask and really show more of my cracks. And this is one of the reasons why we believe that Christ-specific life groups are so important. These are places where you can go deeper in authentic community with one another, grow deeper in growth areas, and grow together as we respond to the gospel. But how do we do that? How do we actually go about responding to this deep transformative experience of the Father's beautiful love in the gospel? I think there's four elements to build on And I'm drawing here from John Trent's book, uh, Leading from Your Strengths, too. The first area, the first thing to build on the first foundation is commitment. Begins with a commitment to one another. I know that you're with me, that you're for me, that you're for my good. And then maybe I can begin to, like, trust you a little bit more. Then on top of that, you put honesty. I know that you're for me, so I'm going to be a little bit more honest with you about some of my quirks of my personality. I'm maybe going to show you that side where I'm frustrated because I feel I know you're safe with me, where I'm frustrated and I'm not going to try too hard to cover up those parts of me that I don't like as much. Or maybe I'm going to share that I'm struggling with this sin or I'm struggling with this situation in life. So there's commitment, there's honesty. Oh, and then the next part's acceptance. This is the most difficult part, I think. As you, I'm being more honest and you're being more honest, it gives us an opportunity to accept one another. I see this part in you. I see your cracks, and I'm going to be with you anyways. I'm going to love you anyways, and you're going to do the same for me. It's the most difficult part, but it's also the most rewarding, I think. It's the most difficult because it's disorienting, because it leads to conflict, because it's maybe disillusioning. You might think, I'm getting to know Dina. I didn't know Dina had this little part about him. I don't know. I don't know if I can deal with that, okay, maybe I can. Maybe we can accept one another. Maybe we can go deeper in relationship, deeper into trust. And then that leads to finally commitment, honesty, acceptance, and then a deeper kind of trust that leads to true authentic community, where I really trust you with myself. And it's not like once you are do commitment, you don't have to come back to that. It's kind of a process you go through again and again in different relationships, and maybe you can grow at so I invite you to consider where are you at in that process in the church? Are you kind of exploring community? Are you trying to figure out, can I be committed here? Can I be committed to certain people? Maybe you're at the point of like being honest with people. Can I really open up? Are there some safe people here? Perhaps you're at the point of acceptance. You know, I'm I'm with some people on a regular basis. We're being honest and open with one another, and we're just kind of trying to get to a new place of accepting one another. Not that, not that I'm like, enemies with this person, but I want to really go deeper with them. Or maybe you're at the place of deep trust, where you have that authentic community, and you can then help draw others into community. Where is God at in this redemptive process? A picture is worth a thousand words. I've probably said a couple thousand words. Just because I said a picture is worth a thousand words doesn't mean you're not going to get more words. Sorry. Um, Everyone is created and broken. That's everyone's story. But if you're in Christ, we get to be created, broken, and redeemed. And waiting for recreation. And so, I want you to hear in these couple thousand words an invitation to go deeper into God's redemptive work. To go deeper into communion with him. Deeper experience of his beautiful love go deeper into authentic community in response to that beautiful love. And we see the Father's beautiful love, one of the places is at the Lord's table, at the Lord's uh, Supper. I'm going to invite Peter to come up here. It was the Lord's Supper, it was the Passover meal, and Jesus knew full well that he was the Passover lamb of a new exodus, a new redemptive work of God. And so he takes the meal and he transforms and he makes it about himself and the Father's love for the world. And he took the bread and he said, and he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you.
0: In the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup and he poured it out and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this cup is the cup of a new covenant, a new covenant that I am sealing with my blood, blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sin.
1: And the cups that we'll partake of will be handed out in the next, uh, next couple minutes or so, but for now, would you join me in prayer, friends? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are defined by this beautiful love. As is the Son, as is the Spirit. But Lord, we thank you that you sent the Son to die for us. We trust in Him. We receive new life from Him. Once again, we thank you that we get to be your people. That you have redeemed us. You are redeeming us. You will redeem us. Lord, meet us wherever we're at, cracks and all. Lord, help us to know more deeply your love help us to experience it together lord i ask with each person hearing this and each person here that they would experience your presence in a new and fresh way that they might know a deepening experience of your love it's in christ then we pray amen, amen.
0: Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.